I was open to anything. It's like, it's more or less a blank slate. It's like, be a UPS driver. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, but that last day at the shop, and Tim and I had obviously had a few beers. He was like, what if you just like opened up your own shop out east and you handled the eastern United States, the sales we make out there, and I'll handle the west? And I was like, are you serious? FMA's Coil Processing Workshop heads to Toledo. During this two-day workshop, you'll connect with industry colleagues and gain insight into your toughest processing challenges. The small group setting includes facility tours for you to see equipment in action and discover new solutions for cutting, slitting, leveling, safety, and more. For more information and to register online, please visit fmamfg.org. Jimapel Dan Davis. We. I we. We. I am the editor of the Fabricator magazine. Uh I did say I'm Dan Davis. Yes, I did. Uh joined today by uh Darla Welton. Uh she helps us out on fabricator.com with the Steel Building America series, as well as some other projects in conjunction with her husband, uh partner and friend. Yes, she did all, all these things. He's many things. Yes, he's, right. he's also yeah. He's at uh, welding certification camp. He is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's helping us out today. Uh, we're ha we're having a conversation with Mitch Kramer of uh, Wolfie, not Volify, as I told us <laughs> before the interview. Wolfie Metalworks. Let it be yes. known. I try to do my research and still screw it up. Uh, but we were talking at toward the end of the conversation, we're talking about food. And as we're recording this, it's kind of around lunch. We started thinking it'd be kind of neat to talk about Detroit pizza or maybe yes. pizza in general. So pizza in general. What's maybe some of your favorite places? Oh my in, gosh. Uh, um, Detroit. Best pizzas. Our favorites in Detroit are there's a Detroit staple called Supinos. And they're out of Eastern Market, but they actually just had a fire. Um, but they luckily opened a second location in the past couple of years that's way too close to our house. Um, <laughs> and they're on Woodward and New Center, and they're outstanding. They also make some other dishes, but pizza is their specialty. Do they do the classic Detroit style? You know what? They don't. They do, oh, wow. um, they okay. do a classic Italian-style pizza, um, like a wood-fire oven. But they've been doing it for a long time here. Um, what's really great is that the Detroit area, um, much like Chicago, had a great Italian immigrant population, yeah. and so we, uh, you know, reap the benefits of that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So Gareth is going on record saying Detroit style is his favorite style. It of is. Pizza. Oh, let me tell you. And that was. Mm -hmm. Did you actually eat it here to decide that, or is that? Well, so my mom's side of the family is Sicilian, and Detroit style oh. pizza is like an offshoot of Sicilian, it's Sicilian. pizza. Really? So I've just grown up loving that style of pizza, like that butter crust, like. Yeah, I would make it at home. Shit. I don't know. I didn't oh. get the cooking the cooking gene. Oh, because <laughs> so nobody seen got it. that recipe. So, so it's kind of interesting. I think I've seen something where there's actual link to the automotive industry in the sense that the I guess I don't know the, the, the pioneers in the space who tried to do it commercially would use uh, pans that came that were uh, being used in the factories and this square or something know. like that. But anyway, what? the thing would retain heat. And provide that awesome crust oh, like on the outside. Iron. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know if it's, it's cast it's iron. It, it, you'd have to do some research, but uh, <laughs> it, it's not your typical cookware you have at home. So to replicate what you get, like in a commercial restaurant, might be a little bit of a challenge. But you know, the, the, the edge on that that pizza is what kind of I oh, I really enjoy. This is so good. Yeah, this that isn't so another good. Dan fact. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Yes, I'm not saying my mental faculties are sharp enough to. To realize what I might make I up mean, and what I might read, but it's possible. It's the internet, and it, it couldn't. It might be a lie there too, so it's not my fault. <laughs> Thank so, you, Brandon. So, Darla, what's your favorite dis Detroit style pizza? Um, favorite Detroit style is probably my favorite actual Detroit style is from a place called um, uh, Michigan and Trumbull Pizza. Okay, I saw that on a list somewhere. Yeah, Michigan and Trumbull Pizza. But it's a location and a pizza place. It is a location and a pizza place. But we they're actually moving locations, and they uh -oh. will now be one block away from 
my house. Um, They are amazing. They have a, there's a pizza that they make that has lemon, um, uh, lemon zest like all over it with ricotta and like some spicy peppers. Oh, Oh, it's really good. Um, That's my favorite thing that they have. Yeah, their Detroit style is amazing. They have an awesome menu, but our absolute favorite, our go-to where we go all the time is also just up the block from us. It's dangerous living in Detroit, I'm telling you. Um, It's called Pie Side. That pizza is killer, let me tell you. And then they make, um, they have seasonal menus. So their main menu changes every three months. And then they do like brunch pizzas and stuff on the weekends. They always have a pizza of the week and they're usually named something hilarious. Tony Hawk bought, like has a house in Woodbridge where the pizza place is. And so, uh, and then he built a skate park in Detroit. So they call, so like that week they had the Coney Hawk and Coney dogs are a Detroit thing. So it had Coney dog toppings and stuff on it. And it was awesome. Everything they make, everything is from scratch, all their sauces, everything that they do. Um, most expensive item on the menu is their fresh mozzarella, which goes on every pizza. Mm. And it's just top, top, top. Well, hopefully after watching this, you don't go grab something to eat or at least bring your smart device and you can watch the podcast <laughs> as you do it. <laughs> but uh, but Pie Side, yeah, in Detroit on Trumbull Avenue. Jeremy is the owner and he is awesome. There, yes. there you go. And Mitch Kramer is awesome as well. Yes. How's that for transition? Amazing. Well, yes, I'm a professional. Uh, <laughs> yeah, enjoy this conversation with Mitch Kramer of Wolfie and enjoy his uh, his conversation. I don't know how much we contributed to it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as he talks about installing uh, at home outdoor super walk yes. setup. <laughs> uh, anyway, enjoy. Now available for 2023, access two comprehensive industry-related surveys. The Salary, Wage, and Benefit Survey provides intel to help company owners and HR managers, as well as the Financial Ratios and Operational Benchmarking Survey for crucial business performance data. Visit fmamfg.org to download both annual surveys today. And now, back to the episode. I'm joined today by Darla Welton. Uh, you might know her from uh, some of the pieces she and her husband, Josh Welton, have contributed to thefabricator.com over the years. And actually, uh, one of the uh, pieces focused on a company called Wolfie. And I didn't pronounce that correctly before this started, but I did now, and that's all that counts. Good job. Uh, <laughs> uh, she covered them uh, just prior to the pandemic, right? Like, uh, um, no, it was like 2021. Okay. 2021. All right. Uh, and Mitch Kramer's joining us today. He's the uh, Detroit representative of the company, and we'll get in more about the company. But uh, this week we're recording in Novi, Michigan. Uh, taking this on the road and hopefully uh, maybe we can do this elsewhere in the future. Thanks for joining us, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so can you give us a little bit of background about uh, your relationship with the company and how you got involved? Yeah, pretty simply, I wanted to get into fabrication and welding and Tim was first just a friend of mine. Yeah, and he's in Denver, He's in Denver. Denver. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I was living. Mm-hmm. I was living in Denver before I moved out here in the middle of the pandemic, which don't do not do that. Don't move <laughs> during global pandemic. But uh, I was working in restaurant industry, service industry, waiting tables and like running the front of the house. And I knew that was not what I wanted to keep doing. And I had a lot of friends that not a lot, but several that were fabricators and welders as their job, as their career. And Tim was one of them. And we played softball once a week. And I always kind of told him, I was like, hey, I'm interested in trying to learn this. And are you capable of teaching me? And he's like, I used to be an instructor. Of course I am. And he's like, it's funny you're asking. I have this this thing that's going to happen for me where I'm going to be busy and I will need some help. You hear that a lot. Right. You know, from people like, oh, yeah, sure, man. I've got so much work for you to do and <laughs> can't wait to get you in. And they never call you and never hit you up. And that's kind of what happened. And it's not his fault. It's just things took longer, as they always do, to take shape. 
Um, but eventually he did say, hey, uh, it's here now. Like I, he assumed control of basically the products that we now make from the original creator of them. And he's like, come in and help. And so I did and the rest is history. And now I'm like part of the company and have my own chapter of it out here. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you describe the type products for the audience? Yeah, it's all aerial acrobatic stuff. It's like end consumer, like home based. We make a mainly what it is, a A-frame rig that mm -hmm. can break down into sort of smaller segments, but then you rig them together. You've got an A-frame rig that you can you know, have your rigging points on and you can do your aerial exercising and aerial routines off of sort of at home if you don't have time to go to the gym or in the case of the pandemic when you can't go to the gym right. and you need something in your backyard we we sell that and then we also sell a lot of you know, apparatus that you can hang from said rig and that's mainly what we're dealing in like uh, 90 percent of what we do is all geared in the aerial market which is really niche and sort of not too many people are aware of right. something like that but it's it's out there well I, it's, it's a perfect example of like you don't know something's made by metal until you have this conversation yeah. and you're like no, that makes sense. You just don't, doesn't just grow in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you no. just usually don't associate, you know, dance or acrobatics. Like, you just don't think, oh, I'm sure a welder has something to, you know, contribute to this. Right. You just don't make that connection, but clearly it's an important part of what they do. They can't do yeah. it without the apparatus. I mean, I'm pretty sure they only use metal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, a lot of gyms can rig in their building, like if they have big ceiling trusses right. or something like that, and their insurance allows it. Right. A lot of landlords or insurance is like, you want to do what now? <laughs> so there's even gyms that will just like buy our, our A-frame rig. It's called the Ludwig rig. We'll refer to it as that. Yes, going forward, I don't keep saying A-frame rig. <laughs> um, but you know, the landlord will be okay or the insurance is fine if it's a freestanding thing. So a lot of gyms have purchased our rigs just to have them indoors because it's allowed. And, yeah. But like I said, a lot of it is like at home usage. And yeah, I mean, it's made of steel yeah. and someone's got to make that. <laughs> and I, you know, Darla and the, the piece you wrote on Wolfie, you made the reference of Pink doing this like during one of her last oh, tours. Yeah. And that, that like, you know, kind of visualized, helped me visualize. Cause I do remember how kind of bizarre a concert experience that must've been like, you know, <laughs> just something you don't see every day. No, yeah. and I, I mean, I think she did a great service to the whole aerial arts, um, you know, I don't know, industry, I don't know if you want to call that, but, um, <laughs> But really, I mean, so many kids and even athletes um, became more, in, you know, curious and involved trying it out. Um, we have a whole like gym here in Detroit that does aerial arts. It's like a circus. Oh, kid! Wow. Um, yeah. It's an Eastern market, and yeah, I just feel like I saw it sort of explode. Like you would see it more on social media, but she really gave like a really cool face to it. And obviously, she's super talented and athletic and. Um, showed it off well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I'm like blown away. She's have, such a great artist. You but. had a brush with greatness being involved in this kind of sector? I have not done any aerial. Okay. <laughs> Is there uh, any celebrity reach out? Uh, no, I don't think we've ever had like a celebrity of any tier, okay. like a grade reach out for us. Um, well, let's put it out there. Yeah, let yeah, us maybe. know. We'll do follow-up interview. Yeah. Why exactly does Gwyneth Paltrow need this? <laughs> <laughs> what type of welding goes into the preparation of these devices? All of it for the production we do on the Ludwig rig is MIG mm -hmm. welding. I mean, we we MIG it because it's done in our shop and it's quicker. Yeah, and it's very a lot faster than if we were to TIG weld. All right, right, right. This. Are you talking bases? Because I imagine some parts have to come apart just to be shipped and. Yeah, 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 they all come apart, and the design is pretty clever in how it how that was achieved. I mean, it's basically snap buttons and some set screws that kind of like firmly get it nudged over just to be like all in line with itself. But you know, the header piece is kind of the 
the focal point of all the forces and whatnot, and that's where the bulk of the welding goes into. I mean, there's a bracket pieces and top plates that all get welded to some structural tube, and that bears the brunt of the forces, and like that's kind of where it's important to make sure you're getting that header piece dialed in correctly. Right. And other than that, I mean, it's just legs and feet, yeah. and it's all made out of square tubing. And uh, you say the design's simple. It took years to get it to where right. it is now. Right. It's never just, oh, it was so easy. Just yeah. woke right. up and did it. Right. Um, <laughs> and we've made minor changes to things over the years since we've kind of had more control of the design, but it's, right. they're so minute, it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what they are. It's more just for like making fit up for us better and easier. Right. What was it like to kind of cut your teeth learning fabricating, working on these products? I mean, it was for the first like six months I was in the shop, I didn't do any welding. I mean, that's that's not what I was Sounds doing. That's typical of like yeah. what somebody might go through in a shop. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of the tubing, almost all of it is given to us from like a laser tube cutter. Like, cause we do so much production run. It's like, it'd take us forever to, to do, get the tubes where we need them to be. And it's cheaper, just have it done that way. But it was like deburring all the pieces on the edges and cleaning them and that that's it. Like that's basically what I did and worked on a drill press where it's like drilling some holes where they needed to be in the header pieces. Cause we do make the header pretty much all by hand. But yeah, for a while was not welding at all and just doing really simple kind of grunt shop tasks, which yeah. is fine. That's what I wanted, kind right. of wanted to do anyway. And eventually Tim started showing me welding, not on any pieces, but just like, let's see what you can do on this piece of scrap. And he's like, yeah, you've, because I don't have any, did not have any welding background before right. that. And that's what he wanted. He's yeah. like, I, don't, I want you to be a blank slate for me to kind of teach you the, the process that I want done. Right. That kind of message is echoed a lot by employers sometimes taking that blank sheet is easier to kind of mold into what they want people to do so oh yeah i mean he uh, had other people helping him because he did need immediate help right. with like the production and he'd have some welders in and it would be a sort of not like butting of the heads but he'd be like no nah, how about i do it this way and you could just see tim be like i have it set up to do it like pretend it's procedural work and he's yeah. like yeah but it's not procedural <laughs> and it's like, well it's kind yeah. of like safety is utmost important so. yeah of course <laughs> yeah and i mean obviously safety is extremely important and like it's, it's like yes you achieved the same results like it's still a safe well like the proper weld but it's like it maybe took a little bit longer it's like no like we have it dialed in to where it's like these are sort of production runs and we're not like there's not quotas where it's like you didn't meet them but it's like <laughs> what you did just takes a little bit longer and over the course of 300 pieces yeah it's gonna just add up so it's like do it this way yeah, <laughs> yeah. how how long did it take before you kind of jumped into more welding? I'm trying to think. I mean, it was at least like after six months when I had done more welding on scrap and Tim had kind of shown me and I'd watched him weld and watched him kind of manipulate the puddle, control it. And he'd be like, this is what you want to be seeing. And this is why this is a good weld. This is you know, where these need to be. And then he started letting me weld on the foot plates to the, the, the feet pieces, which it's just a plate welded to the end of a tube. And it, there's no, it, it's, there's no structural element to that. It's just like you could tack weld it and it'd be fine right. for our purposes. But he's like, start doing these. And so I started working on those and just running stringer beads on it. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's, that's all it is. Cause MIG welding, you can, you can pick it up pretty quickly. And then like the finer details of it, obviously take time and experience yeah. being under the hood and both like is that a good weld or like have i got the settings dialed in right which is easy in our shop environment i mean the box pretty much has like the paint markers or like you know here's like where the digital readout should be like this is what the setting should be right. and so like learning those aspects of it just like the troubleshooting fine-tuning like those came much later but like when it's all set up for you in a production environment and the instructor's right there, basically one-on-one, -on -one, it was pretty easy to, to pick up. And obviously Tim was a good teacher because yeah. he had, I forget how many years he taught at 
he taught at a Lincoln uh, Tech uh, yes. in, in Denver for years. Yeah. Yeah. And so he that was in his wheelhouse yeah, already. He just had been an instructor and knew and it, it, career welder too. I mean, yes. since out of high school, he he worked in welding, um, shipyards and bridges, things of that nature, like actual structural stuff where it's like can't fail. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. He, it's not just like. Oh yeah, I am a hobbyist, and yeah. like I'll teach you how to to weld. It was like, no, like, this is a really good opportunity for me. I, you know, can't believe this is happening to me. Like my friend <laughs> yeah. has all this work, and he knows how to instruct and teach me. So. Right. Feel like you wonder what it would have been like if you had followed like a more formal path to, to yeah. turn learn wed it for welding? sure. Yeah, like if I had actually gone to welding school, which I I think I was kicking around in my head, and Tim kind of was like don't do that yeah <laughs> right as an instructor and he's like here's why he's like you totally he went to welding school but he's like a lot of times it can just be like a you paid x amount of dollars and got a receipt basically like yeah you went to school yeah and he's yeah. like you don't necessarily have like in field experience or you know you, you have a lot of maybe like textbook experience right. but like actually getting out there and the realities of working something are different and he's like you can there's certain fields where you can't just go out there right. and do it. Like if you were going to pipeline weld, you'd have to have time in yeah. a shop. And like YouTube a school videos are going to do it alone. No, and there are some fantastic YouTube channels out there. Unless you're under the hood doing stick welding and pipe, but yeah, you can. They're not going to hire you. Um, <laughs> I watched it, YouTube. Hire me. Yeah, yeah. You have to have like a pretty strong base level of like actual like hands-on work to be able to like e even right now i do not do enough stick welding to pretend that i could go and pipeline weld or even structural plate welding like yeah. it i'd be i'm curious like i, I want to go like take tests and just get that done like do you actually like would you be able to pass something like that and i, I probably i'd be surprised if i could because that's much much different and I, for that i had thought about going to school for that but that was before tim had this opportunity oh, for okay. me yeah what happened that uh, made you want to end up coming to Michigan? And did you have like the confidence part of it, you know, about kind of expanding the business or bringing the brand with you for the business to Michigan? That was all Tim's idea too. Uh, like my last day at his shop, and by that time in Denver, I, I was doing everything, okay. like all the production elements. How long had you been there? It'd been three and a half years maybe four years uh, yeah at that time i was handling everything like i could do everything the shop needed to have done and all the processes that he had developed i knew and know like the back of my hand so you know but when it was time to leave and i came out to michigan because my fiance we're going to be getting married in about two months um, she's from here and when we tried to buy a house in denver you can't afford it or at least we couldn't but we could out here and our whole family's still out here. So decided to make that move. And I was thinking like, yeah, I'm gonna make a pivot, I guess, and maybe not even do welding or fabricating out here. Um, I kind of toyed around with the idea of even going back to school for like engineering or something, which I can't imagine why I was even thinking <laughs> that really. What was preventing you from that path? Uh, mainly like a, I don't want to say like disdain for engineers, but <laughs> you didn't say that. Yeah, so no, no problem. Because um, I am like I'm fascinated by how things work, but like it, that can almost get like too, too much. Because there's that there's that constant battle. I mean, talk to any fabricator or person that works in a shop environment. They're like, can you you won't believe what the engineers brought to me this time. <laughs> And engineers are like, you won't believe what these fabricators are right, telling Right, right. It's a healthy rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that was just like, well, it's a pandemic and like, like online school is a thing and like that could be an option. I was thinking like, oh, maybe just be an electrician, just like hop into like being a helper for an electrical guy or go into trade school for that. Um, I was open to anything because like it's more or less a blank slate. I was like, I could be a UPS driver. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like I... I don't care. Like it's whatever yeah. comes my way, but that last day 
at the shop and Tim and I had obviously had a few beers. He was like, what if you just like opened up your own shop out East and you handled the Eastern United States, the sales we make out there and I'll handle the West. And I was like, are you serious? Like, cause by that time I had a pretty strong idea of what the company was doing business wise. And I'm like, that'd be a pretty healthy job income yeah. <laughs> right there and my own shop and he's like yeah dude he's like if you do the legwork and figure it out and he's like i don't see why we shouldn't do that and at that particular time too like i said we moved in the middle of the pandemic that pandemic hit and our sales went through the roof yeah i mean the gyms closed and everyone wanted what we sell i'm sure every aerial company because we're not the only ones especially now I mean, they all like post on their website, like we are drowning in work, please be patient. And we, we had to stop taking orders because we were just like, we don't know what to do. I'm like, this, yeah. is, this is too many, which, you know, we, we kept them closed for like two weeks for like, let's open it back up again. Right, essential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you guys anticipate that when the pandemic hit? Like, oh yeah, our business is gonna boom or did you anticipate a slowdown? <clears throat> we. I don't think we had any of the foresight of like, it's going to make our sales go through the roof because the gyms are going to close. Because at that time, we, we were kind of wondering, like, will we be able to work? Because right. when the pandemic hit, the, the kind of like the overwhelm of like the Hollywood-esque movie of we're all going to die kind of <laughs> was in, in your head. Because I, I was also, before... I moved out here like i had taken a part-time bartending gig again just get more money and like when the pandemic really hit like the shutdowns happened it was like they called me up it's like you're you're no longer we, we're not open anymore like you're done and so it's like well i guess that might be what it's like at the shop too because it seemed like only if it's essential and i'm like we only make stuff for like people that exercise i guess that's not essential <laughs> but you know as as it kind of like moved on and progressed it's like okay like there's not like enforcement of this and i think we're essential anyway yeah. I, I don't know it didn't matter right but right. yeah the gyms closed and sales just went nuts and so that that kind of boosted i think our overall confidence in being like yeah were it, you set up in michigan as of at, at that point no okay no i mean like, i moved out here and like got busy doing the legwork of finding a location, um, getting vendors set up, like I said, like the laser tube, getting that figured out out here, which Troy Laser, they're great. Um, <laughs> amazing company to work with, truly. Um, but yeah, just doing that legwork, it took a while. I mean, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it'd be. I'd be like, dude, Detroit's got so much dead industry. There'll be a building, no problem, be so easy. <laughs> no, it was not that easy. <laughs> At all, every building out here is it's huge, and they're like, "Yes, forty thousand square feet." And I'm like, <laughs> so oh, big. Wow. I'm like, I, I'm like, it's a very small scale operation, very small company. I mean, it's two of us. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not big, and you know, I couldn't. There's no way I could justify having that much space, let alone afford it. This right. wasn't possible. So it took a lot longer to find a smaller spot, which I finally did. Um, and then, yeah, slowly, I've been operating out here for like almost three years now, which is kind of How much amazing. space do you need? I have about 2,000 square foot shop space. So you have uh, material stored inside or is it kind of delivered on an as needed basis? It's, I order a, a lot of steel tubing from my laser cutters in bulk. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to store that. It's all stacked up. Right. Um, but no, a Tim's shop in Denver, I think it's not even a thousand square feet. I mean, his is, it's full to the brim with like <laughs> lots of stuff, but it, it all works out because you really don't need much space. And we even, we've done custom projects that are like sort of aerial adjacent and you operate out of there. You don't need a ton of space. You know, it's, Everything's set up before it's sent out? Like There's test fitting procedures we have to where we don't have to actually erect gotcha. a rig. Was, it's yeah. uh, it's actually pretty easy. There's just like two handheld pieces where it's like, if this fits into this, it's good. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty easy actually to, to make sure everything's good and set. Right. And you've kept, the, the company's kept busy all these years pretty much with yeah. this one sector, even as more companies have entered it? Or are yeah. they dedicated to it? Like the thing, is? I think like one of the just amazing aspects of Tim and I like having this company is the guy Ludwig that that created this rig. 
he was an aerialist and he was one of the first people that has like he sort of had like national recognition amongst the aerial community of like he makes this aerial a-frame rig that's portable you can set up at your house it was like 20 years ago when it was not as crowded or as competitive as it is now and just by virtue of that by him being synonymous with like one he's credible he's not just some hokey guy making stuff in his spare time it's like he has an engineering background isn't is also very into aerial and he designed this rig and people in the aerial community trust him and respect him and so like by virtue of that it's like and he vouched for uh, tim too when he took over he's like tim has been helping me because tim met him by helping him and ludwig's older so like he's retiring and he sold the company to tim thinking it's like how many more people can buy aerial rigs you know it can't be that many <laughs> and it turns out it's pretty much gold mine so. yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah. that's amazing oh yeah tim and i we just kind of laugh with like was, how lucky are we <laughs> what was the name of the website that ludwig had again i know it was a still live name. it is still live. it's called damnhot.com that's it that's he, it yeah he's got like <laughs> he's got all these different ventures he, he's that kind of person and um it was like little things like hand warmers more or less and oh. i think instead of and it's a very old website i mean he made it himself right like he knows how to like code there we go i and mean but back in like 2001 yeah like the website's <laughs> yes. html yeah. 1.0 and it's almost <laughs> unnavigable it's like broken <laughs> and it, this was the website used for years for people to place orders on which is astounding <laughs> to me because it just seems so stupid. So this was the face of the one. product, basically. It literally looks like for my years, resume on the for, internet. For years. But like, Grant, this <laughs> right? came around. Oh, no. I forget when he made it. It's like 2001. And so this was made a long time ago by him, which is kind of also, it's like he does, he's able to do a lot of things. 2001 um, is like e-commerce, like birth of e-commerce, truly. really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he had it set up to where like you could order through this website, which I, figuring that out back then is yeah. pretty hard. You can't just like, you can go onto Google now and be like, help with ordering system on website. And there'll be right. like a huge chunk of code you can just paste in more or less. Oh yeah, I see an AOL.com email. So. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's called Damn Hot because he had like this thing he was designing for like hand warmers. And instead of buying a new domain name, he's like, well, whatever, I'll put it on Damn Hot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just okay. like. <laughs> I'm shocked this is still. Oh yeah, it's still up. Yeah. I it's mean, so great. Yeah. But I do think there was something on that there. It was like, okay, I'm not building these anymore. Yeah. You have to yeah, it's contact like I'm turning Tim. this over to Tim, and Tim has like been my one of my fabricators for a while. And yeah, I mean, he worked it out with Tim to where it's like certain royalties get given to to Ludwig, because um, because he thought it was like it's gonna slow down and be over, but it really hasn't. I mean, even before he sold it to Tim before the pandemic, and like sales just keep going up. Because I guess the interest in this is very high and growing. Yeah, which I'd love is to see one in a backyard. That oh, I mean, that, I mean, it's not like something you can do, kind of quietly if you have even a six foot fence. Because no, yeah, people. Yeah, are gonna... I want a neighbor who does this. <laughs> well, the, because it's it's built up like segments at a time. It can rig only as high as like eight feet if you want. People set it up in their living rooms if they have a tall, tall enough ceiling. But if you want to go that full height, yeah, that's easy too, and put it in your backyard. And you had mentioned the uh, laser cut tube. Mm-hmm. Has the technology, the laser cutting technology, gotten better to the point you don't have to spend as much time like deburring yeah. the material coming in? Yeah, I mean the the edges we do. I think pretty much solely because powder coat sometimes has a hard time adhering to a sharp edge, right, right. and so we just deburr oh, yeah. that edge just to allow the powder coat to kind of turn out a little better. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the holes that come that come to us, they're, they're welded on anyway. So like deburring isn't that important, but the cuts the laser make are, I mean, it's just like, did anything even happen there? Right. Just like the tube came that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like that way in the forest. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It, that's what it feels like sometimes yeah. when I get the, the shipment from Troy Laser and like I've gone into their place and seen the machines. I'm just like, the technology is amazing. Well, I mean, <laughs> the technology is so incredible. I mean, 
when it comes to tube alone, like I, back in the day, that stuff had to be machined. You know, they yeah. couldn't, you know, yeah. to, to, to be able to kind of do that type of precision on a, you know, a cylindrical thing is pretty something. And the speed at which it does it nowadays is yeah. pretty awe-inspiring as well. It's kind of mesmerizing to watch it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all about sparks, right? I mean, yeah. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Who doesn't love sparks? There Come you on. go. Have, yeah. Have uh, laser technologies moved forward? Welding technology moved forward to help you kind of make your job easier? I mean, there's certainly, you know, like a lot of the newer boxes have all the preset stuff where yeah. it's like my material is this thick and I'm, you know, working on this type of material and it's all done for you that way. It kind of takes maybe some of the troubleshooting out. Right. And I, the welders that I have in my shop right now, it's just a Hobart uh, Ironman 240. I do the bulk of my welding with and I am looking to upgrade because they are, it's cheap enough now, but like the two settings you can control, I just don't like how it, there's nothing, it's, it doesn't tell you anything. It's one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, so I got the temper voltage, and that at least has like a full on selector, and the wire feed, same thing, it's like 55 or six, it's, it's not actually telling you yeah. what the voltage is or the wire speed, what the wire feed speed, and I mean, I know where it needs to be because we do so much repetitive work, right. but it's it is kind of annoying to be like, okay, like <laughs> with, with zero DRO or anything like that. It's like okay, it would be a lot nicer to just have like, and even old old machines had that. Yeah, you know, it's it's like it does the job. Right, for right, sure. right. But it's done it for a while too, though. It's done yeah. it for a while, quite yeah. well. Yeah, there's this machine right there. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I had Tim gave me a chunk of money to get the shop up and running, but it's just like that's what we use, that's what he uses in Denver. I'm like, I'm gonna do that out here, right. and yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, the welding technology it's it's amazing today. I mean, there's so much that can assist uh, a person that's really just starting to learn with making a good weld. I mean, yeah. like there's like all these parameters. I don't even know how to talk about them, but it's like. <laughs> Oh, you like have a little bit too much stick out. It's like, it's okay. It's compensating for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's so true. It's, it's incredible. But I think that even though the new machines make it easier, they also help you learn more about settings mm -hmm. and, you know, what to use for the different materials. Um, they're not just doing the job for you. Yeah. Um, which is, which is pretty cool. Mitch actually came out to our shop um, last month and did some TIG welding with Josh. Because you said you had recently bought a TIG machine. Yeah, I've had a TIG machine in the shop for like two years. Okay, but yeah. yeah. I just yeah. don't do too much of it. Like right. uh, my work doesn't necessitate that I really do. But, um, you know, it's in playing around with it. It's just like, man, I'm, I suck at this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, the one, the one job I did for a guy before he before I gave the work back to him and he was like oh this is so great like I'm gonna keep bringing you work man and I gave him back it, and it was just like a weird little piece welded to something else and you know it's like an automotive decorative thing and he I, he never called me back he never <laughs> brought work he's like and, cool man and, thanks yeah yeah he just like, he looked yeah at us like, I reached Gosh. out to Mitch because we had a guy that was coming to take a workshop and we just were sort of fitting in some people that we had to reschedule and so I had one guy coming in for a four-hour workshop, and I was like, hey, Mitch, you still interested in learning a little more TIG? <laughs> Come <Yeah>. on down. <laughs> and that, that's just time under the hood stuff. I mean, it's like yeah. I just don't do enough of it to consider myself, like, skilled or good at it. Like, if it needs to get done, it will. But, like, just that workshop it was just like, oh, okay, like, I can, I can definitely make some TIG welds. It's not... Yeah, not, I'm not atrocious at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they looked great. Yeah, Josh, can yeah. you call this guy? I but just gave this the, part two. It's the thing where you see, like, you know, TIG welding on social media is such a hot thing where it's like, look at yes. the dimes and stuff, and it's just yep. like, oh, I don't look like that. You don't have to. You don't, yeah. have, you no. don't have to look like that. Nope. Uh, you, don't. you know, it's, <laughs> it sure does. It does look really cool. It's like, wow, it's a steady hand and steady feed rate, and like they're traveling perfectly. Yeah, it does look cool, but like it's, you know, get the penetration and actually fuse right. things together. And a lot of times those welds <laughs> don't, don't really have yeah. any penetration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that also contributes to like some people not really understanding like what makes a good weld. And I wouldn't expect them to. If you don't work 
in fabrication and welding. You know, it's like, it doesn't have the stacked dime look. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't have to necessarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you feel, do you feel like you've kind of assumed the role as like a, I don't want to say elder statesman, but somebody <laughs> with like experience in metal fabricating to where, you know, you feel like you can kind of uh, talk confidently maybe with someone else who's been in the field oh yeah i mean there's like another one of my friends out in denver he did a lot of fabrication work on handrails and like making pretty cool like rock crawlers and roll oh. cages and I, I would help him do some of that work and he's like out in the field type guy yeah and working and he was an incredible knowledgeable resource and he could explain things really well and so like just having been around him that's helped me feel pretty confident and you know, understand like no i know how fab work goes and how that said if there was any sort of like procedural stuff where it's like oh, like it's this is pretty heavy duty like structural building stuff it'd be like well i haven't taken that test i would never say i know how to do something like that it's interesting though because the way that you did learn, um, you know, especially MIG welding and the structures and, you know, proper processes and settings, all this um, knowledge that you have now uh, coming from Tim, it does really speak to that apprenticeship model. Once again, like how valuable that is um, being in the field, doing a, you know, a specific type of job. There's a lot of value in that. And I mean, there's career welders who only do MIG welding. Yeah. You know, they never pick up a TIG torch. We actually have a lot of them show up in our workshops. They're like, I've been, you know, a MIG welder for 20, 25 years and I've never picked up a TIG torch. So, you know, I'm just really curious and bought a machine when I retired or, um, you know, we have a new thing at work and I just really need to learn. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, even if you know, like one process, you can very confidently proudly say, I am a welder. (laughs) Well, and going into working with Tim, I didn't understand that there are different sort of aspects of the whole field of fabrication and welding where it it is like a guy's like, I just weld. Yes. And it's like asking to fit something up and he's like, no, I don't do that. I I weld it. I weld. Yep. And you know, Tim and my other friend, um, Adam, he was definitely like, you want to be a fabricator. You want to kind of know how to actually make something rather than just weld it. He's like, that, that, that's just their opinion. But I, I definitely saw that. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me. Like, I like to build something or had the, the knowledge base to fabricate something from the ground up and not just be like, a, I do welds. That's all I do. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is fine too. Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Yep. There's definitely a place for that. Mm-hmm. What other projects have you worked on? You know, I'm sure you've done other projects in the shop at this point, even since I've talked to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the cooler projects that I've helped were out in Denver just because yeah. we have more of a kind of more keyed into more people out yeah, there, whereas sure. I'm still kind of get my feet wet and just understanding like what's out there here and connecting yes. with people and also like and people out here will be like oh yeah totally i i want that done yeah. and doesn't necessarily happen if that's just because they never get back to me or the quote wasn't what they thought it'd be you know but out there we made this really cool sort of like rock climbing wall on the side of a bus that oh, could sweet. uh and it was like a it was like dancing it was like they would do this dance off this sort of yeah, a rock climbing face where they had like the plastic holds, but they needed a frame for it and needed to like hinge underneath the bus, like one part of it and on top. And so we made these big frames to like mount the, the rock climbing walls too. And that was a really cool project. That's awesome. And that, That's really... that involved a lot of like making custom making these hinges and making sure everything could fit squarely. So like when these like pieces of wood with the holds went on it it was flush and could hinge under the bus and then stay hinged under the bus and on top and then like you know it folds out and the top piece sort of like came out more to where it's like you could climb up and like you know sort of be on like a yeah and it was pretty neat because they they still i think drive it around and that's so awesome i feel like tim it sort of has his ear to the ground with unique these unique projects, yeah. right? So somehow he met this aerial guy. Somehow he meets the the bus 
rock climber people. <laughs> and I know he's also, we were talking about this yesterday. Tim's also contributed to Meowulf. Yeah. Um, in Denver, mm -hmm. and I, which I've now since been to the one in Vegas. Oh, cool! Yeah, I didn't know they had one in Vegas even. Yeah, I guess it's it's newer from the past couple years. I would think, yeah, in so Santa wild. Fe and Grapevine, Texas. Yes, yeah. so we I've been to the Santa Fe one. That's like the first one. I'm okay. Yeah, sure. that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, so cool. It was it was such a blast. We were there for like hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explain what meow wolf is for the people at home. And you explain what Meowulf is? <laughs> it's like a large interactive art. It's an experience, Dan. Experience, <laughs> yes. Thank you. And you must go to Meowulf to really understand and know Meowulf. It seemed like to me, I think I use the phrase, it seems like it's, a, it's an escape room where you don't feel the pressure of trying to escape. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's it, like, it is amazing. Like, and they do allow a lot of really amazing artists that are both known and unknown, get their work out there to where yes. lots of people will see it. But Size and scale is... Yeah, and, but there can be an element of that to where it's like a Disney World-esque feel, yeah. where, uh, you know, and also like the serious art world's really annoying too. Right, so, right, right. You know, like <laughs> Malif at least does kind of have more of like a accessible and right. approachable feel to it. But you know, there's pros and cons for everything. That uh, it's kind of funny where some of these connections come in fabricating. Just the people you end up kind of meeting and yeah. working with, and yeah, because it's not you know. I think you mentioned capitalistic, but I think in many ways, a lot of our publication covers people making parts, delivering on time, big you know, uh, serving hundreds of customers. And that's not that's not everything, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like as we're talking about Wolfie and uh, individuals working on stairs. You know, there's a lot of different opportunities for folks that have the skills to do what you do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like my, I've thought about it where it's like if you were more business minded, it's like you'd have <laughs> someone doing all the production work for you, and then you'd be out there hustling, being like, let's get these handrail jobs, let's get these other municipal jobs, and then I'd hire more welders into my shop and then I'm, you know i'm just kind of like i don't know if i'm that person yeah. <laughs> no. so, so you know we do like uh the fab 40 where we kind of uh rank customers according to self-reported revenue and you know there's the, the, the number one for several years has been uh mech mayville engineering out of wisconsin publicly held company just within the last couple years i think you know close to half billion in revenue yeah like private well not publicly owned but companies right behind them privately owned but there's nothing wrong with people running like the family shop with like 10 people and that's the majority of the shops in the u.s it is small size shops and you know it, it's uh they do it because they like it yeah and it, it's uh it kind of is nurturing in a way that you can have both a yin and a yang you want to go chase the chase the dollar bill you can do that and yep it's a uh i, I think it, it 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 bodes well for those that have the skill to do it Mm -hmm. and, and, and the to, personnel to do yeah. it. And, and, and yeah. yeah, and the soft skills as well. I think sometimes that gets underplayed. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, does that mean like customer service type? Yeah, thing? like we, your we ability have one to now? connect with Tim, you know, that, you know, if you have that, and just speaking with you, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'd invite you to my softball team if I had friends. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you have a way, you know, ability to work with others. And we were kind of having it once again on a previous uh, conversation. Yeah. It, it's uh you know, in this age of Zoom meetings and, you know, remote work, it, the ability to work with others, is, is, you know, it's kind of taken on even more importance because when you get together, things have to happen. You can't afford static to eat up. Right. Uh, you got a 30 minutes for a meeting and awkward silence isn't going to do well for 20 minutes. Or I mean. just <laughs> talking in circles about the same right. stuff where it's like nothing got accomplished <laughs> yeah. <out> there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a, uh, I don't know. It's just a, a good uh, laboratory for like entrepreneurialism and uh, doing things on your own. And you yeah. know, did you ever have a feel like you would be in that position? I like doing things on my own. Yeah, because I know that you worked like in, in food service and, you know, I, I have enough of those friends that you know, there's always in the back of their mind if they can do their own thing. And, but that's a real capital intensive like investment. Yeah. I mean, I was like a manager at a small restaurant that was 
locally owned and like you know i had my front of the house staff that i managed and like ran the beverage program whatever okay uh, and so like that's you know i had a lot of freedom to do that and, like, creativity as well yeah right? I, I got yeah. to shape the way the wine list was made i got to you know like, you meet with the reps and taste the wine and be like that's gonna fit with our food that we're doing right now and so you yeah, had that element of freedom and it's like no i people trust me to do stuff and right. i can do stuff and when Tim brought the idea of like doing it out here, you know, Wolfie, I was like, yeah, dude, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, like expanding into different markets and different areas of fabrication, I still, I'm busy enough. So it's, right. I'm happy where I'm at, but there is a part of me where it's like, you should, I want to keep doing more work outside of Ariel. Right. Like I don't want to stay in Ariel forever. So I, I am trying to, kind of hustle a little bit to, to see what's out there and get more more work in different fields. But like I said, it doesn't just come to you. I right. mean, and there's elements where it's like, here's what I want to get paid for that. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to pay you different. Right. That, so. Right. Yeah. But don't let up on that. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. a pretty firm believer. And it's like, well, someone else will pay that. Exactly. So, and that's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to work for a client that's cheap. Right. Because, yeah, some people don't learn that lesson and yeah, push an they get stuck in that cycle and being taken advantage of, and mm -hmm. we've seen it happen time and time again. Well, and I've you know like Tim's done it, I've done it where you just you misquote something, and you, no job, no matter what you think, it's like it's going to be an easy job. No, it's never. Like, <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't take professionals to do it if there weren't problems that you had to problem solve and then have not necessarily you have to have the right tools, but certainly helps when right. you <laughs> run into trouble somewhere and it's like. Like I've got the thing that can help us get this done and the knowledge to get it done. It's like no job is easy, right. no matter what. So like being able to problem solve and do that, it's like you got to build that into some quotes because yeah. like it's going to take longer than you think. Yeah. It always does. Yeah. Do you look at possibly bringing somebody on as you kind of like entertain maybe more work? Yeah. I mean, I have, I've had a couple people, a big aspect is packaging up the rig and mm -hmm. shipping it out. Oh. So I hire people to do that because okay. I, I need to. And I've done that work myself because it is pretty simple, but I want to get people in that are like, hey, like, do you have any interest in doing some of the tasks that I first started out doing? Because mm -hmm. like deburring on a bench grinder, it's pretty, you can do this. Anyone can do yeah. that more or less. Or working the drill press I, I guess got new to me bridgeport so it's like way easier now nice. which is so awesome <laughs> nice yeah but like, i could teach them like it's already set up like you can't screw it up like just don't crank down on the feed just <laughs> go nice and slow and you, that hole will get made for you and having people do that kind of work for me then like gradually if they keep showing interest and sort of aptitude building them up to being like yeah do you want to weld do you want to learn to weld but I mean, the two people I've had doing that for me, they've gone off on different, you know, work. Like one just uh, got an electrician apprentice and it's like, yeah, great. He's like 18 years old and already like way ahead of where right. I right. was. <laughs> where I was like, good for you, man. Like that's what you should be doing. And, yeah. That's really cool. I love that you think it would be cool to kind of do what, was done for you yeah though. that's really yeah. cool like pay it forward or backward i don't know what that <laughs> yeah. right, goes, right, but right. <laughs> like tim did that for me it's like i want to try to do that for someone else awesome. too and yeah you get the right person then you can sort of expand but it's hard when you're kind of a control freak too yeah like with some of the, the stuff on especially the headers it's just like needs to be done this way and <laughs> i know i can do that and like even if i got someone in it's like i'm a welder i know what to do I, I'm sure I'd be running into the problems that Tim had of guy being like, nah, here's what you should do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh man, it's like, it's not your shop. I can't. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. With the boom of like this type of aerial product, are there other companies that are trying to replicate what you guys are doing? Or are they reaching out to consult with you at all? Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of products that are very similar to what we do. Um, and then we don't have a patent or anything on what we make because it's kind of, it's almost like too basic to maybe have there's certain elements we probably should look into that but that's money and lawyers and stuff so but this i remember this one guy it was like two years ago he was from out of houston or something he, he was just so clearly trying to like get 
the inside scoop on how we do what we do. And he more or less has like copied us wholesale. Mm. Where And we were kind of like, what is this guy's angle here? And like, we see him now making stuff and sort of like trying to advertise himself as like, oh, I, his website is literally a copied verbatim from our website that we oh, currently geez. have. Where it's almost like, I think we could do something. They'll be like, dude, you, you, like this is not okay. Yeah. Like you're, in a way, he was almost trying to market himself as making what we make. And yeah, it's like that's so weird because it's it's not it's not regulated. I mean, right. someone wants to make stuff, they can. Like you could be, I'm a fabricator, and if you want to make a ladder rack for someone's truck, and someone lets you do that, there's not like a regulatory process you go through to have right. that done. And it's that way for Ariel, for better or worse. I mean, it's pretty wild west out there. And some of the stuff that Tim and I have seen that have been made for people, where it's like that is not safe like you shouldn't be doing anything on this and not just because like you should give us your business it's not that at all it's just like dude you gotta dig a little deeper and like just because someone says they fabricate and it's like oh yeah i can make aerial equipment it's it's different like it's not just yep i welded this up and did it and it's like okay like if you want to purchase that you can but there's <laughs> your definitely life a, your yeah. lens <laughs> and i think a lot of aerialists it is very like most of them are like no like here's the people that are trusted here's what you should be looking for and like we're we're a part of that and there's other like, our rig suits a certain need for people that want to do aerial but not everyone and we gladly steer people to the people that make a different style of rig that maybe is more suited for the type of aerial they want to do. It's like, go to them. Like they have what you're looking for that will make it easier to do the type of aerial that you want to do. And I'm not too knowledgeable about the different types of aerial because right. I don't necessarily do that. But our customer service rep we have is an aerialist and she is knowledgeable about that. And it's just like, like you know, Bobby Bates makes this type of rig. It's a little bit more suited uh-huh. for what you're looking to do. Cause we're not trying to be like cutthroat, like let's control that market. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your business. It's like, oh no, if that's what you're looking to do, go like that rig is what you want. And, but yeah, like I said, anyone can make this stuff. Any, anyone. Or the, for uh, better or the or aerialists unionized, you can get their <laughs> seal of approval. I mean, more so you kind of run into like someone wants to do an event somewhere with our rig and they need to have like insurance or something like that at the events like can you prove to us like this rig is safe and we have like the certificates of like engineering that have sort of can be provided for that yeah um but you know there's a lot of apparatus and rigs that maybe don't necessarily have that and Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't mean they're not high quality, right? Because it, it can be expensive to get that type of stuff. Yeah. But there, there's also some where it's just like there's been established brands. Like I'm not gonna name the name, but like a big player in the aerial. It's like the quality noticeably went downhill because he was trying to do too much, and he was having people come in to help him, and they just they weren't cutting it. Oh. And it's like you you can't, you know, you, you got to be diligent because yeah. it is so just. Yeah, it's like it's more or less unregulated. Right. I, don't, I don't see how you'd necessarily have any sort of governing body over it. Right. right. You, do you do welding outside of work? Yeah. Really? Oh, I mean, so, I make a lot of projects for my house. Like I just okay. got a, I like to cook. Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, being in a restaurant background, I just got a, like a wok burner that's like really high heat. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to build out like a whole little station for outdoors to where I oh, can cool. you know, like cook on the wok and have like, you know, just like a cupboards and stations Crazy. like that. How much how many BTUs are we talking? <laughs> uh, I forget what it's rated for, but like it will, if you're not attentive to it, right. and what you have in there, it will burn within like five seconds. Right. Because you know? right. that, that's how hot a wok <laughs> I've seen those be. guys yeah. working. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's way beyond my. Oh, yeah. You got to, I mean, motion and yeah it's amazing for That's something cool. that takes those guys like you watch them work it and the meal's done like in a minute yeah minute and a half yeah like, what, what am i paying for but like you said that's Uh-oh. what you're paying for a minute, <laughs> that minute walk, and a half. the walk skill i mean it's a one of the best youtube feeds and channels is called yummy boy i'm, 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 I'm gonna plug yummy boy right okay. now incredible video is that b-o-y or b-o-i b-o-y B-O-I. 
Um, there's no, it's all just, it's like ASMR in a way, because there's no talking. There's no like, what's up, guys? <laughs> With this Walkman? It's just like, they, they show the, per, like, it'll be like, just some Thai dude setting up his stall on the yeah. street for the day. And the sound and the audio and the video of it is just incredible. And then, like, he gets to working and firing up that food. And it's yeah. just like, you can't watch it when you're hungry. Otherwise, you're going to be like, oh, my oh, gosh. I is. feel like I could get lost on that for oh, hours. It's awesome. My dad and I, I don't even know what the name of the show is. I swear it's on, like, PBS or something. But there's been a few times I've been in my parents' house. And my dad will just turn on the show. I don't know the guy's name, nothing. He's an Asian man. And he just travels all around Asia and cooks with people in like small towns or villages or they're on the um, the road and like they're just cooking alongside the road and they lay like wheat on the road and they let the cars drive over it to like break it up and then they collect oh. it and they use it in the cooking and it's just like or he's like cooking out on a boat he's catching fish and they're just like he's got this little walk set up on a boat and he's just cooking in the boat and it's so charming you just get lost in it oh yeah it and is he like you, talk a lot. you describe it's like it's comforting like it's oh yeah calming oh, i mean as look well. okay here's a yummy boy yeah i mean asian culture has been around for thousands and thousands of years and so like, right. they know how to cook man oh it's, my gosh. it's just so good like the especially the japanese we're so off topic but like the <laughs> the japanese I ones like they've been a japanese restaurant like the level of organization they have where it, i watch him like wow like you gotta bring that to what you do because like if you are doing production runs it's like you do have to think about like everything set this yeah. way this way this way that way you can maximize the efficiency all that lean stuff is all japanese i shouldn't yeah. say all but it was refined based on american concepts in japan mm -hmm. so it totally makes sense yeah you you got your burner outside there right there's no way you'd do that inside it would, would you it would just destroy the house yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I it says better. like if you like do not use this indoors like, right unless you have a industrial hood yeah 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 like right. stainless steel everywhere kind of, like i've thought about like dude maybe i need to get one in my that'd house. be so funny <laughs> that would be really cool i'd love to have like a, just a hibachi grill in the middle of the kitchen yeah. like, how awesome would that be no, a couple on. friends of mine they are chefs um here in Michigan, they work at Mabel Gray, great restaurant, by the way. So good. Um, they've got like an industrial hood in their home. And I've seen them. It's like, I maybe need to think about getting That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. But yet you're one step closer to where you might be able to actually do some of the work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have thought about Get that. Get those TIG skills down. And yeah. <laughs> I know. I got to see that. Yeah. Some TIG stainless. And oh, my goodness. Yes. I got to see your setup when you get it done. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will definitely. I mean, I haven't started making it yet. Is it part of like an outdoor kitchen setup? That's kind of the idea. Like I want to incorporate it into like my grill that I right. have and have like the whole so station cool. there. Yeah, that's a neat. Like I've never seen that a part of anybody's like outdoor kitchen setup. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I keep trying propane to get Josh. Powered? Yeah, propane. Okay. And like yeah. the, I've traveled Southeast Asia before and I know this one uh, family I was staying with uh, through a friend of mine that I had growing up. Um, they were cooking for us and they were cooking outside. And you know, most, all the cooking in Southeast Asia is done outside because yeah. it's nice out there, like it's covered and it's just, it's not cold. But they're like, oh, if anyone ever is cooking for you indoors in Southeast Asia, that means like, that means they don't like you. <laughs> they're like, the, the good food is cooked outdoors. Oh. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I'm I like, I want to have step, this like walk step set up. Foot off, step foot in Thailand, like, come on inside, enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, yep, it's going to happen. Yeah. Now you know. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, no one, if they like you, they would never cook for you. In That's doors. funny. Well, it's like, it's kind of nice because, I mean, most welding you're doing inside. So yeah. to have that, you know, outside hobby and. Yeah. That's that's pretty great. I love cooking outdoors. I even bought like extra burners that I can set on tables yep. and everything in the summertime. Like I want to cook DJ outside. With burning. Oh, that's just, I'm totally a food DJ. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I, yeah. that was a nice way to kind of bring <laughs> it to a place. <laughs> Gareth, before I rudely interrupt everybody, do you have a question? Uh, I don't. It was going to be something cooking related, but that's just, we're starting to get way off. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Uh, thank you, Mitch, for joining us today. It's been yeah. fun. Thank Congratulations you. Congratulations on the success.
Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I owe it all success. to Tim. Really, I can't, can't say that enough. Tim Omspach. Owe, <laughs> owe it all to Tim. Thank and you. And it's a website. What, Damn Hot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a link to, to where you yes. yeah. 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 found the proper it. Yeah. website, Wolfie, and that's V as in Victor. It's like V-V-O-L-F-Y-M.com. There you go. And we're right there. Please go to where you get your podcast, uh, rate, review, subscribe, recommend us to some friends. We'd appreciate it. If you have any questions, send them to podcast at thefabricator.com. Is that correct, Gareth? You got it. Again. Thank you. You're on a roll, roll, actually. I am, I am the Joe DiMaggio of, and he didn't even hold the record. Who holds a consecutive hits record? That was Joe. No, he's at, he was the American. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you're it, right. 56. Hit streak? Yeah, 56. Yeah. That's right. Joe. There you go. See? There you <laughs> go. So, anyway, uh, thanks for joining us and goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. The Fabricator Podcast is a production of Fabricators and Manufacturers Association, located in Elgin, Illinois. The show is hosted by Dan Davis and the staff of FMA Communications. The podcast is produced by Gareth Slager and recorded and edited with the help of Brandon Geyer. Sales support provided by Andy Flando. Additional production support by Elizabeth Gavin, Dana Weicker, Mary Diamond, Mike Owens, and me, Sarah Spring. Thank you for listening.